right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by IcarusFC.com. This is episode number 307. With that number, we'll give a shout out to A-Rod, none other than Amy Rodriguez of the Utah Royals FC. She started all four games for Utah during the fall series and scored one goal in her 307 minutes on the field. Uh, Rodriguez also holds the record for most NWSL playoff goals with a total of six, and three of those were game winners. So shout out to A-Rod. So two chats today. First, with my NWSL broadcasting pal, Mike Watts, who called nearly every Challenge Cup game, several of the fall series games. But right now, he's all wrapped up in calling the SEC Women's Soccer Tournament. So we talked about how college soccer is so different this fall and how his broadcast work has changed so much because of all the COVID restrictions in place. Also talked about, you know, how he... You know, how he looks at these players in terms of which ones could succeed as they move on to NWSL. I mean, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about calling games with Mike is that most NWSL players he has seen for most of their college career. So he's really seen them evolve. Then I had a great chat with Laura Armstrong from the Toronto Star. We talked about Bev Priestman, the new head coach for Canada's women national team. Also talked about some of the Canadian players who aren't on the national team yet, but are certainly knocking on that door. So we talked about Bianca St. George, Jordan Listro, uh, Evelyn Vienne. Really enjoyed the chat with Laura Armstrong. And of course, between the two chats, there is a Jen Splainer segment. This one is about NWSL player rights. So enjoy this show and don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MixZone and at KeeperNotes. All right, Jen Cooper, the Keeper here with Mike Watts, NWSL broadcaster extraordinaire, who in his spare time, he also calls women's soccer for college, Mike. I mean, when are you not calling soccer, really? that That's the question. Uh, this year, not not a lot of, I mean, there was like four months where there was none, uh, and then the Challenge Cup, and then I took a month off to go home, and then I went back down, and I did three months, and then here I am now. So, yeah, I mean, in the last four or five months, it's, it's felt like uh, I've probably done 75, 80 plus games in that time. It's 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 nutty. I mean, it, it amazed me during Challenge Cup where you had a few days where you would call a USL game between the two Challenge Cup games. You know, like it's it, it's in your blood, like the rosters of not only NWSL, but USL and, and SEC are like all in your blood, I think. Yeah, no. And I, I just went and looked and in total, I'll do 100 games between the first game of the Challenge Cup. And I've got a CONCACAF game on, on December the 3rd after I'm done with the SEC tournament. So that's 100 games in less than five months of just banging them out. But, it, you know, I, I've i told this story once or twice. Obviously, you were in the building when it was all going on, and Josh Toll um, was with you, and you guys are kind of looking at each other like, wh- where's Josh going to be? Um, yeah. We had a lightning delay in Tampa Bay in St. Petersburg, and that game was scheduled to start at 6 o'clock maybe, and it gets pushed to maybe a 7.45 kickoff on ESPN News. So we're kind of looking around like, okay, 
is this game going to start and end in time for me to quote unquote be in Utah for a 10:30 game on CBS All Access? So I literally finished a game 15 minutes before kickoff, and God, I don't even remember what were they 10 o'clock or 10:30 Eastern time kickoffs. So it's all a blur, but. Yeah. Uh, 15 minutes to air, I, I pull off my shirt and tie, I still have suit pants on, I put on CBS pole, I walk downstairs, and it's like, hey everybody, it's Mike and Lori. <laughs> <laughs> and Josh is upstairs like, so I'm doing Twitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I felt for you as, as much as Josh, because you're like, who the heck am I working with? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I liked having that one game um, and viewers may not even remember where I got to do the open by myself um, yep. be, because we, because we <laughs> did know we, we knew in advance not, not to risk it, that, that you had a game in the middle. So Josh was moved to CBS and you were going to join me as soon as you were done. And, you know, so I got to write my own open and rehearse it a few times and, you know, we pre-recorded it, you know, and, and I'm like, Oh, I can do this. I can do this. You know? And then, then the, the game kicks off and, and I'm like, this is going to be a really long two hours. If it's just me. And, I walk and then, in and, did, and then you walk did you call in, goal? No, no, you got there right before. I think you got there right before Sam Mewis had that early goal. Right. <laughs> I was, I was just like, "Yay, there's two of us." Okay, it's so much more fun. <laughs> yeah. What a very basic thing to to celebrate the broadcast. <laughs> two of us. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to COVID broadcasting. You, you just, you just oh, got to well, make and, it work. <laughs> yeah, and that's the interesting thing is, you know, a lot of people are probably like, well, then why didn't they just bring somebody else in? And you're talking July, and we weren't exactly in a bubble, but I, I know you basically didn't leave your hotel. I basically, right. I, I had a place to stay. Um, I, I, outside of going to a hotel and, and staying at that one other place, and none of us were going anywhere. Yeah, so l- l- yeah. We you can't just bubbled. randomly bring. Yeah, you. But you can't just yeah. randomly bring someone in. Yeah. No, at the time, Florida was still uh, probably the hottest spot in the country, and you know they brought you and me in and Lori in from out of town, and just sort of said, you know, like, you know, <laughs> use DoorDash as much as you want. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, post up at the back table of Outback if you want, uh, but let's not <laughs> <laughs> let's not get risky. Exactly. Outback Steakhouse, my office in Florida. They they got to know me really sure well. Public. Do you think they're uh, going to be able to sponsor you or something in future years? Well, they they should. I mean, I was a little disappointed when I went back this fall and like no one seemed to recognize me after, you know, having been there every other day for for basically a month. But but maybe but maybe it's maybe it's cuz they were no longer at 25% capacity. Like it was so awesome. I love restaurants at 25% capacity, right? There's like no one sitting near you. Everybody's keeping their distance. It's nice and pleasant and quiet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They should sponsor me. Anyway, you all know my order. I, I yeah, <laughs> yeah. amazing. They, you'd, you'd sit down and your food would appear 10 minutes later. I mean, it's incredible. Exactly. You've never and seen I, it before at a chain I, restaurant. I, I even started, I, I gave one of them like a dash y'all means all mask. 
and and whatever stickers I had left, my my NWSL stickers that say World Champs made the NWSL. Yeah, I'm just like mm-hmm. handing stuff out. But anyway, let's you, talk. Oh, go ahead. Well, go ahead. About, about that sticker, I was wearing the shirt that you had with that with that message on it. You know, yeah. World Champions. Uh-huh. Can I tell you that in the past couple of weeks, I've had a lot of people ask me while I've worn it out, is that a political message? Like, it, it's because of the color, like the, the, the blue and the red, people think yeah. that's like an election thing. And I'm like, read the rest of the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm celebrating that we are indeed great at something. And it's this. Okay. Read the shirt. (laughs) Well, I have, I have that sticker on my backpack and I was out, um, eating by myself, of course, working on my laptop and the person at the table, you know, a few tables away, which was the table closest to me said, um, excuse me. I I reckon I saw your sticker. I I had a question for you. I'm like, okay. They're like, Uh um, yeah, they're like, um, so NWSL, why is everybody leaving? <laughs> oh, shoot. I know. Well, I, well look, and, and, I'm and, not and, at the point said, yet. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just said they're not leaving. These are loans. A lot of international players they need to be with their clubs. You know, like I, I gave him an explanation and he's like, oh, that makes so much more sense. He goes, so I don't need to worry. I was like, you do not need to worry. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'll let you know when you need to worry. <laughs> Yeah, the two things that stand out about that story is, one, that person clearly didn't know they were talking to NWSL celebrity status keeper nodes, for one. And step two, I'm not at the point yet of this presidency, and I don't know if I ever will, where I can make jokes about, like, make NWSL great again. Like, I'm Uh, I'm just not there yet, and I don't know that I ever will. No. Um, But... I, I do think we're going to get four months down the road. We're going to have, a, a, you know, an idea of what the season is going to look like next year. And we're going to start seeing these players make their way back. It's right. that, that's my expectation. I, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't totally understand. And then there's another population of people going, Oh my gosh, Manchester United's my team. And they just signed Tobin Heath. Oh my gosh. Right. You know, and, and right. so it hopefully brings people back with them a little bit who, who yeah. are into the European, you know, the, the the entire Premier League, you know, rules the world model. But yeah, yeah, you, you had other things you wanted to talk about. But I mean, I think so. We, we were on, on Dana <laughs> Beach Island for a month and we're just sharing our favorite memories. <laughs> and we never we never got to vote anybody off the island when we were you know, in our Challenge uh, Cup Jen, Island. Uh, Jen, it was you. <laughs> oh, it was me. No. Oh, no. I got it. <laughs> anyway, let's actually talk about what I got you on the podcast to talk about. Was was college soccer? Because, I mean, we thought NWSL was whack. <laughs> Fall college soccer has been really strange, uh, especially like each conference kind of doing their own thing. A lot of them not playing at all. Now we know that some will play in the spring and NCAA just announced, hey, you know, we're going to do a championship. It'll be 48 teams instead of 64 in April and May. But right now we have about to kick off the ACC tournament and the SEC tournament. And as as usual, mm-hmm. you are one of the announcers for the SEC tournament. So give me a sense of what SEC women's soccer has been like this fall. 
Yeah, it, it, it's been unique because every week you're kind of holding your breath. Not necessarily will the game get played, although some have had to be moved. Even is is this player g- going to play? I mean, you're almost creating backup plans um, as you go along. And we've had, uh, at this point, to my count, in, in games I've done, uh, four coaches who've either tested positive or had to quarantine due to close contact. And so you're talking about, you know, you're spending a significant amount of time just saying, hey, the head coach isn't here. Uh, you know, this is how they plan to coach from home, or this is, you know, the instructions they left, and here's the guy who's going to take over. And so you're, you're sort of figuring all that out. I mean, it was kind of funny, you know, Becky Burley at Florida sort of tried to make, you know, somewhat of a, a, a joke out of that moment and put a bobblehead of herself on the bus, and they took pictures of the bobblehead making the trip um, <laughs> nice. instead of her. Um, but we didn't find out that she didn't make the trip till Sunday at 10 a.m. And the game is uh, Sunday afternoon. So you're sort of scrapping some things. And so from a broadcast perspective, that's where we're at. For the players themselves, this has been, I imagine, an extraordinarily difficult time because very few opted out. They wanted to be there. Um, they want to play. They want to compete. They they chose their school in large part because of the relationship with the soccer program, and they want to be able to represent that and continue to develop themselves. And so for the SEC to do what, you know, two Power Five conferences did not do um, in, in instituting a season uh, like the ACC ultimately did, but in the Big 12, but you know, create an eight-game conference season, try and space it out enough over eight weeks that you're playing once a week. It allows proper testing. Um, They've set down some really specific and at times, you know, more difficult than it is to to go back out in public um, in terms of quarantine, which which I think is only right for the safety of the players and, and the opposition to those players. Uh, it, it's it's sort of been on a razor's edge a little bit over the course of this year. Uh, to, to the conference's credit, um, they, they did get most of the season in. Uh, they did crown a regular season champion. Um, it, you know, we are going to get to Orange Beach. All 14 teams uh, have qualified automatically into it rather than leaving four out. Everyone's going to get that experience. Um it, one coach and told me at the beginning of the year, be, right? That's a safe place for them to all to be, right? Because they they're not you're all contained, right? Yeah, it's not quite a bubble, but it's pretty darn close. I mean, no one's going to be going out to the wharf and and having a party in Orange Beach um, this year. Um, our full production crew is going to be tested. I've already been tested this week. I'm going to get tested again when I get there. So. We're going to be clear on on our side. Uh, they're, they're limiting the number of people in the building to family and selected guests, uh, which is, you know, usually they have kids day and bring in a busload of kids from the local school. That's not going to happen for everybody's safety. And um, they're just trying to make this as safe as possible. And the players are going to get tested after every match and obviously, you know, before and when they get there and, They'll do everything they can to make sure this goes off without a hitch and give these kids the opportunity, you know, to to shine in a year where that really hasn't been all that common. 
And every single game will be live on the SEC network, which is also available via ESPN Plus. So I'm, I'm excited about that because it is it's it's a pretty big slate. As you said, all 14 teams uh-huh. get to get to go this time. So I was looking at the bracket because I was like, how are they going to do this? So you have like one play in round of the bottom four teams uh, mm-hmm. that then that then go into. Yeah, so I guess then that gets you 12 teams? And no. Then six through, uh, sorry, five through the bottom end up playing yeah. in the next round. So it's a quadruple header there. Yeah. And then you get to the quarterfinals. The top four seeds are in. So now everybody's played by that point. You've got another quadruple header. And then a double yeah. header um, semifinal day on the Thursday. And then a few days off and play the championship on Sunday. And we're used to doing one four game day and historically right. we've we've had a, a second commentary team that that makes the trip in um that they, they'll kind of host some of the pre-post um and halftime and fill some of that airspace but also give us uh, a breather you know i used to be on the b team uh, when jen hildreth was in the sec now obviously in the acc but now i'm doing all 13 this year Buckle up. Wow. If you don't like this voice, you don't like this voice. It's going to be a long 10 days, folks. Real long 10. <laughs> and there's no, there's no break between these games, Mike. <laughs> like 15 minutes. Like I, well, I've timed assuming it out. they don't like, go to <laughs> extra time or overtime, how NCAA likes well, to Well, and then it. they move them. I think it's 20 minutes minimum between the end of one game and the start of the next. It may end up being a little bit longer so that they can it, – it's little things. You have to wipe down the bench area. You have to spray down oh, the bench Oh, true, area. yeah. You have yeah. to clean out the locker room. I mean, at the Challenge Cup, you know, part of the reason they had the game so far apart, one of it was the heat. Another, I think, significant part was they had to clean the whole venue every time it was used. It, it, yeah. It, it's yeah. a huge undertaking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think we talked about that, that on, on air, right? Like, you can't do these back-to-back, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that they did – like marking the seats, like, you know, so you could see where to sit and then you would know if someone mm-hmm. had sat there and yeah. Well, how do you prepare for a 14 team tournament, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm lucky. Um, and before I go further, there are a lot of really good people who got let go by ESPN in the layoffs this week. And I haven't addressed it on Twitter or anything. I I don't know that that's my place, but before I dig into it, it's, it's just a lot of really good people got, got let go. So I've been fortunate to work at all this year, much less the extent that I have. That's not lost on me to do 13 games for SEC network this coming week for, for me, for my family is, miraculous given the way 2020 has gone. So that in mind, you know, I was lucky to do 10 teams over the course of the regular season. So that gives you a really good base on 10 of the 14. And I've basically hibernated the last three days. And when we're done here, I'm going to dig back into it. I sent 12 pages of graphic ideas um, for, for all 14 teams to try and, give some some stories we can tell and things we can do to make this you know championship caliber event 
Um, You're looking for personal details on every player on every roster because this is naturally going to be the day where someone makes their first appearance of the year or they've only played twice and and now they're starting. And and you got to be ready for everybody. And it's the same way I approach the Challenge Cup where, you know, truthfully, the sad thing is, is I had Orlando's board done first for the entire (laughs) Challenge Cup. And I both didn't get them in the Challenge Cup for obvious reasons, and I did not get them once in the fall series. I have an entire <laughs> Orlando board that never got used. Um, but, like, I, I, I had that done 12 days before, even before the rosters were official, and I can take players out, add a few in, but have all that done. So I've been working on it for, like, a week and a half, and I'll keep working all week and talk to coaches at the end of the week and – try and give these players and the programs and, and the tournament itself the just do of, you know, this is a championship event and this is the biggest 10 days of their year. So we're going to make it feel that way. So based on, you know, the regular season and SEC, they only played each other, right? They didn't do anything outside conference. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, based on what you saw regular season, you know, who, who would you, who would you, you know, pin as your as your likely championship game? I mean, teams, the ones that would make the final. Yeah, and it, obviously the bracket itself has something to do with that. I, I would not at all be surprised if uh, the bottom half of the bracket with Arkansas and South Carolina ends up being chalk all the way to the final. Um, uh, th- there's no one in that in that group where I kind of go, that's the obvious team that's going to knock off Arkansas or South Carolina. Um, with Florida being 13th um, due to all the injuries and everything that's gone on this year, you know, you, you never count them out. So if they can beat Kentucky, which I believe they can, um, if they beat Missouri, I believe they can. Um, all of a sudden you're playing South Carolina in a – quarterfinal and you're kind of going would you really bet against florida would you really and so (laughs) (laughs) um but you you kind of dig through it i i think arkansas south carolina the bottom make obvious sense i think vanderbilt is a seven uh is terrifying because if they get to the quarters by beating mississippi state they're going to get tennessee um interstate rivalry always really tight Tennessee winning their division, I think, took a lot of people by surprise. It, it would not surprise me if Vanderbilt and A&M reached the other semifinal. I, I think Arkansas, A&M, and South Carolina are the three best teams in the conference this year. I think Arkansas and A&M are probably a class above. Um, Arkansas has been to four straight finals, and they haven't won any of them. They're regular season champion again. Texas A&M didn't win their division, but did win the the code title in, in the conference um, in the regular season. So this is a very long way of saying if I had to put money on it, I would say A&M and Arkansas go to the final, the, the three and the one. But um, I, I think but you probably wouldn't put money teams. on it. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. You would, you would I, say I it's love... too close to call. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's too oh, early you to wouldn't. call. <laughs> it's too early to call. Uh, I, I, it's funny. I actually believe in having sports betting be part of broadcast. I, I don't mind that. I have never once placed a wager on a game. 
<laughs> I have people DM me all the time from overseas like, hey, could you give me a thought on this Houston Dash North Carolina Courage game? I'm like, <laughs> no. No. I, I know so much that I know I know nothing. That That's how far <laughs> along I am in my career. I know that I don't know. <laughs> oh, so, Okay, so you've hit conscious incompetence. Next, you Indeed. will be conscious competence. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Well, and mm. was it just was it just 2018? Was it only two years ago that LSU made it all the way, uh, won the whole thing after starting mm-hmm. with a, a play-in match? And so now you could have Alabama or LSU or Kentucky or Florida, especially Florida, like you were talking about, go all the way. But they will have played five matches in what nine days 10 days right and and not only that you're used to playing your first two games of the season oftentimes you go travel to some faraway place you play friday sunday right there's not a team in this conference that's played two days apart much less a couple due to rescheduled games who've had to play three days apart more than half the teams in this conference have never played more than a game a week this year doesn't mean they aren't right. capable, but if you're Alabama and you're looking down the gauntlet of, you know, and I think they're the most likely playing team to make a run. Um, just I, I, I value what they have in their program right now. I, I think they're unlucky to be 11th. Um, <laughs> five games in 10 days. I don't know how you're supposed to do that. Yeah, I mean, at least you, you're you just standing and talking for, you know, five games in 10 days. They're actually running I around mean, and sweating. I've already <laughs> asked them if I can have a chair up there. <laughs> <laughs> Please, sir, may I have a chair? <laughs> well, and, and it's funny because, like, on those four-game days, you start at noon, you get a ton of sun. By the end of the day, the sun's behind you and it's blocked off. I, I'll do my open for the first first show and then spray on sunscreen on my face <laughs> <laughs> and then wash it off between game one and game two and then do it again. And then like by game three and four, I don't need sunscreen anymore because the sun's already down. I just burn that easy. So I, I need sunscreen and a chair stat. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to pull off eight hours in uh, of broadcasting in 10 days. Um, now uh, shout out throat coat god's gift of tea um are, are you gonna but, um do you have to be on camera at all or is it all all just audio? yeah yeah no, oh so you have to look like you're awake right exactly exactly and the last game if you we had a quadruple header maybe it was last year i think we set the tournament record for most overtimes um and think of what it was like in the quarterfinals um at the NWSL Challenge Cup where every game went to penalties, it felt like, you know, three of the four. But uh, that's a long day. That turns into a really long day when you keep getting penalties and, and such. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm supposed to look like I'm totally aware. Eh. Now, are you on site for these games or how does that – will you actually be in the stadium or do you they go put you somewhere else or – so I, I I mentioned I did ten teams and sorry you know usually it's it's the bulldog that's freaking out uh, but today it's the telephone uh, sorry no worries uh, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so it, during the conference season, I did all four of South Carolina's home games. It's just the way it worked out. I was doing them from the baseball stadium across campus off a monitor. Um, it was <laughs> just the way the technology was. So at one point, it, it was raining early, and Cat Whitehill is on the other side of the glass in a booth adjacent to mine. And I look at her, and then I look out. I'm right behind home plate. And the, the, the clouds had just cleared. And I go, it's a beautiful day, whether you're playing soccer or baseball or any sport. We're kind of looking at each other like, was that kosher? Was that cool? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the protocols um, for, for SEC tournament do allow us to be there. They've set up uh, three – broadcast towers next to the venue one on the end line for for a camera there uh one camera position at midfield and then we're slightly off center uh so we will be there the whole time we will uh, uh have full sight of the field uh joe nice. is our sideline she'll be down on the sideline most of the time and um masked up and trying to stay six feet apart from everybody and um, hopefully get us some good insight from there. So in that sense, um, I know Kat Whitehill and, and Jill and I are all, uh, Jill Lloyd and, and I, we're, we're ecstatic to be there and, and document it in person. Well, and tell me, you know, as you've been watching SEC this season, this weird season, and, and you know, uh, I'm assuming you always have a little bit of a coach's eye, you know, when, when you're calling these games, we've got a college draft coming up in January and it's going to be really strange, right? Where you haven't had nearly as many people playing. um, And some players may stick with their colleges to play in the spring, you know, like, but how do you, you know, say if you're Christy Holly for, for Louisville coming into their first college draft, I mean, knowing what you know about NWSL and college, Mm -hmm. you know, what kind of player would you be looking to draft? I mean, if you're Christy, you sort of have an embarrassment of riches and that you're going to be able to figure out more or less where you're at by then with the expansion draft. So, and there are some really good players like the rights to Abby Wambach and uh, the rights to Lori Lindsay uh, and the rights to Jill Lloyden. Uh, I sent Jill that and she's like, Oh my God. (laughs) I, 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 you know, like I feel so exposed. I think she said uh, to be left unprotected. Um, (laughs) Uh. Yeah, it does even surprise the people that are on the list. They're on the list. But, uh, yeah, yeah. in that sense, you kind of get a grip on it. I've spoken with a couple coaches in the SEC who have players that I think are most definitely capable of playing at the next level in the NWSL. Um, Anna Patton at uh, South Carolina, uh, Channing Foster at, at Ole Miss. Um, I think um, – uh, you know, there's a couple players at Arkansas. Uh, Van Fossen, the center back, is is a, a total beast. Um, you know, and, and athletically gifted, and, and has come a long way over the over the time that she's been there. I, I, I sort of look at probably five to ten players in the SEC where you kind of go, okay, do you want to use the extra year of eligibility that you're given for 2021? Do you want right. to play in the spring? So those are two separate decisions. You know, there's some talk 
will this player go pro overseas? Because NWSL might not be back, but let's say you're Anna Patton, and I'm not. I'm speaking entirely out of turn. I have not spoken to her or Shelly about her intentions, uh, the South Carolina center back who, who transferred in from FSU. But she could definitely play in, in, the, in the English first division, I think. She, she'll at minimum be on a team. She's in the mix for the national team. No reason she couldn't if she wants to. And so do you stay for the rest of the year? If you do, do you, you know, announce your intention to go pro or do you stay for 2021? Those are the decisions you have to make. It In that sense, it's really difficult. And that's something where it's Christy or any coach needs to clarify what they want to do. Um, and it, was it maybe Midge Purse or it, it was someone out of the Ivy League a couple of years ago who said, I'm going to finish my degree and then I'll join the team in May. Um, it may have been Midge at Boston. Um uh, but it, it, you know, it, there's going to be decisions to make and when you want to come out and how you want to handle rights. And as we know, a sky blue, sometimes you hold on to playing rights of draft picks. You don't sign. And so there's options. Um, I, I mean, the tough thing is, is you don't know about anyone in the pac 12. I think that's yeah. the most difficult portion. Uh, I, I think the number one pick appears fairly obvious. Uh, <laughs> from my, I, I, I've done zero Pac-12 games, but it seems like, uh, there, there's a Macario? pretty front runner there. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, 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 she hasn't played. It's so year, weird. So yeah. Yeah. That's her intention. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, it's so strange. Right. Um, um, and of course you also know louisville because you've called uh a lot of their usl games you know a lot of people in that organization so 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 to put the spotlight on racing louisville i mean what are your thoughts about how this franchise is going to do i mean me i'm excited when we see not only expansion but expansion coming from a non-mls um outfit so much like north carolina you've got a men and women's team that are really on equal footing and I look at Portland, and even though it, it is an MLS team, they treat their NWSL team exactly from from an outsider's perspective the same. Yeah, yeah. I, I say this about North Carolina and Portland, and I, I, I know this sounds really minor, but for someone who does these games off monitor, I'm, I'm looking for little things here and there. Both logos are on the trash can. I know that sounds dumb. But, like, there's a lot of <laughs> venues where it's just the men's team. This is the men's team stadium, and the women's team plays here. North Carolina yes. doesn't do that. The front facade of Providence Park, equal equal billing. They don't, right. they, they don't pull any punches. These are two equivalent teams, and we want them supported equivalently. And I think it shows, um, which is huge. That's that's the next step, I think. You, you know, you need every team to be on that level, um, and they should be on that level. So I look at Louisville. You're talking a team that built a 15,000-seat stadium entirely in private money. You're talking about a team that's existed six years and made a conference final every single year. You're talking a team that was playing in a baseball stadium. They sold it out. 80% of the time, top five or 10 in attendance in the league. 
uh, you know, 10,000 plus for a, a championship final. They had 5,000 tickets and they were out the door in no time this year during the pandemic uh, at this new venue. They're going to host College Cup. I would expect down the line they expect to host, whether it be CONCACAF or it be national team events, 15,000 is not a bad number to put in a, in a venue with a field that pristine. Um, you, you can play some games of significance in that venue down the line. So they are ecstatic from the people I've spoken to there about having a first division women's team in the building to have that level of star power in the building uh, by the same yeah. token. And I've said this to Louisville people already, you will not make a conference final, uh, you know, obviously conferences don't exist in the NWSL, but you're not going to make a, a playoff run every year in the NWSL as an expansion team. Historically, it's right. very difficult. You know, this is much more entrenched than the USL was. The market is a lot more tapped than it is, in USL where, you know, contracts are flying all over the place on an annual basis. Right. Um, so that, that comes to mind as well, where, you know, temper your expectations, support the crap out of this team, buy the stuff, <laughs> go to the games, know that there's going to be bumps in the road and, and ride it for the long haul. Cause I, I think the organization's philosophy is right. Uh, the new training facility they're building now is magnificent. The stadium is magnificent. The way they treat the players is outstanding. The virtues of the organization are on point. Fans are going to love what racing does when they come in to, to NWSL. Well, and that's always so exciting to hear. I mean, I, I loved that we were able to, during the Challenge Cup, show their logo and that they already had scarves for sale, you know, um, and we've already seen some player announcements and then now we've got the, the expansion draft. Like it's yeah. Very exciting. And I it's hope real. we get to see the same. Yeah, it's real. And, and we've got <laughs> confirmation. We, we have double confirmation of, of LA, you know, we got to announce that during uh, the challenge. Who? Cup. What, what's the name? Do, do we, we clarify the name? <laughs> do we have to call it angel city FC? Darn right. You do. <laughs> Darn <laughs> okay. right. Hashtag um, trademark. Hashtag copyright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's um, you know, again, when I when I get that random stranger walking up to me and going, you know, should I worry about NWSL? It's like, no, you know, <laughs> things are things are moving in a great direction, and so Louisville brings us back up to ten teams, which which we were at, you know, before um, Boston folded, but Angel City will put us at 11. And of course mm -hmm. we know there's a 12 team, that 12th team out there. We're 99. Oh. We know we're, we're 90% sure yeah. it's, it's Sacramento Republic, but we're all still waiting on that. You know, like when's an announcement coming, but, and, and even beyond it's that, we know, drive. we know, yeah, we know that there's, that there's, you know, places talking to, to, to the league about future expansion. And, and that's the kind of thing, like you mentioning conferences for USL, like I, you know, I, I don't think it'll be long before we have a conference situation. Yeah. You know, I think you need for, to get to NFL. at least 14, at least 14 to get to definitely. That conversation. I think 14 is a minimum. Um, yeah. My guess would be, you know, if, if you get to 12, um, you know, or 10, 11, 12, you play, 
you know, a, a standard both sides. But if you get to 14, do you play, you know, all your teams in conference twice? There's, you know, 12 games. You know, do you play everyone twice? Do you add add some games in your conference to try and lower the travel? And, you know, that's sort of half the deal with these conferences to begin with is the limit the amount of travel and that's obviously COVID and, and otherwise, you know, financial, but um, if you're a USL team right now, and I know some other organizations that um, are excited about the women's game and USL is sort of, you know, put their nose out there, I think a little bit. Uh, I don't know what the intention is there. Same with, you know, uh, some of these franchises, do you want to get into the NWSL um, you know, do you have your own venue that makes it logical to do so? If you're playing out of a baseball stadium that you don't own, does it really make sense to join NWSL right now? Probably not. Um, all that stuff has to come to mind, but I, I got to think if you're excited about the growth of soccer in this country, you, you should be equally excited uh, about where the NWSL is, is now and is going. Yeah, I mean, this year is just a weird blip in terms of how everything played out and the players going on loan. And I have to say, I'm I'm happy that women's soccer has advanced enough that when, you know, we hit this fall and you had players going, I need to get more games or unless I get more games, I'm not going to have a shot at the national team, whatever the reason was, that they actually had options in Europe where... You know, we've 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 seen the incredible growth of of the game in Europe as well. So now that's actually something that could happen, right? So it, it's like, don't be scared, don't worry. You know, it's it's all working out, and and of course next year is going to be weird too, regardless of what our scheduling looks like, because it's an Olympic year, right? So right. you have you have another window of hey, someone maybe they didn't get drafted. Uh, you know, maybe they they didn't get a contract in the first preseason, but but they they jump in as a national team replacement player in July and and wow, everybody, you know, like and then as 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 we mentioned, the later expansion, there will be another twenty six or fifty two roster spots, <laughs> you know, for twenty right. twenty two. So yeah, That's, so it's a really I exciting time. Enormous, based on what the Challenge Cup did. Not only did it keep the league alive this year, which was a really big deal and, and credit as well to like athletes unlimited and what they did with softball. Pro women's sports needed to have a season in, in some capacity. It, it's really important that they did. So whether it's NPF or athletes unlimited or it, there needed to be an outlet. So not only did it keep the, the league going, which was huge. And then to have a fall series is a cherry on top, but to expand the player pool, and, it, you know, if you're going to have 50 more spots, we probably saw 50 new players during Challenge Cup and Fall Series that we hadn't seen in the league before, whether they be right. young players or players from elsewhere. Or expanding the pool and letting everyone know what's there going into that, I think, is also really significant. Yeah, it's just, yeah, so so much is building up. I mean, I've, I've said this several times already, but it's like, hey, if you're a player who's not getting a lot of minutes or is not quite making a contract, like if you could just be patient because it's about to explode, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah so, so much, 
Yeah, so much soccer. So we, you had what a hundred games in five months? You said. Yeah, give it five, like five months in a week. Yeah, so so I'm thinking, you know, 2021, Mike, you have to have 200 games in five months. That that's what we wish for you. <laughs> you, you <laughs> I I will tell you this. I uh, I did. I think it was about 220 each of the last two years. I think it was like 217, and then I promised I was going to do fewer, and I did like 225 last year and that includes everything i do um and this year it's i'm like i i promised my fiance i'm i'm gonna few less days on the road and figure out a way to wrangle down the number of games and then it's like (laughs) the pace didn't change i just happened to have four months off in the middle so um (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm i i'm on pace for a 200 game year in a year where there weren't 200 games to do but um, it, 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 for for what it's worth, vaccine news is is great. But like everyone, please wear a mask. I don't know who cares to listen to me on these subjects. Please, God, wear a mask and stay distant, and let's get this thing under control. Or it's going to be a really bad winter for everybody. I'm I'm and a really I, bad 2021. I'm, yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to bring anybody down uh and and i'm no public health uh genius but i you know i've been tested 15 times and i've done a lot of traveling over the last few months to make this work uh and my primary mode of of transportation involves a mask and staying distance so please be careful well, Mike, thank, thanks for the public service announcement. I agree with everything that you said. And thank you so much for taking the time to joke with me about our experiences this summer and talk SEC and Louisville. And I always enjoy talking with you about soccer. And good luck surviving the SEC tournament. Thank you very much. I, I can't wait. And we're on... Uh starting friday uh november 13th i don't know if this will be posted yet (laughs) it should be it should be yeah okay yeah two games friday night and then all of sunday uh the 15th and all of tuesday the 17th from one o'clock eastern until you know most people go to bed we are live with women's soccer on tv on sec network Support them uh, and, and enjoy some of the games. We're excited. Thank you. Time for a little gensplaining. Today's topic, NWSL player rights. What are those? Uh, how were they acquired by Louisville in the expansion draft? What does that mean? When we're talking about player rights, we're talking about a a player who is not active in NWSL. Either they've retired, they've transferred to another league, um, but a club in NWSL still basically has dibs on that player. So Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, both of whom were claimed in the expansion draft by Louisville, um, when they left their clubs, when they left their NWSL clubs and transferred to Manchester United... Portland and Utah, respectively, held on to their NWSL rights, meaning if those players wanted to come back to NWSL, then Portland for Tobin Heath and Utah for Kristen Press would have had first dibs. Uh, Basically, they could say, 
we can trade those rights to somebody or you have to come back to play with us. And of course, both of those clubs chose to left those leave those player rights exposed in the expansion draft. So Louisville, and I hope I'm saying it right now, Louisville um, picked up Tobin Heath's player rights and Kristen Press's player rights in the expansion draft. So anything that those players want to do in NWSL at this point will be controlled by Louisville. Of course, Christy Hawley as head coach, he can trade those, right? Uh, so lots of potential of what to do with those player rights. And it was amusing, I have to say, that when we saw the unprotected list before the expansion draft, there were a lot <laughs> of players who have retired their rights listed with the club that last held their rights. Like, you know, Abby Wambach's rights were acquired by Seattle back when they were actually Seattle uh, in 2015. Of course, she retired at the end of 2015. So it was kind of amusing to see that on the list. Um, That's just really some uh, cleaning house paperwork wise. But it was interesting to see, you know, see those names from from way back in the day. So anyway, Bottom line, NWSL player rights can be a valuable commodity. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Laura Armstrong from the Toronto Star. First, Laura, how cold is it where you are? (laughs) Oh, it's just turning. We had a beautiful weekend of, um, oh gosh, I can't do, I can't do conversions of like 20 (laughs) and sunny. Uh (laughs) Sorry, but today the sun has not come out and it's about to set. I can tell you that. All right. Well, that's fair. (laughs) I mean, we're in that transitional phase in Houston, my favorite time of year where it's like, you know, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. It's so perfect. I'm like, yes, this is why I live in Houston. These four weeks of the year where it's fall, winter everywhere else. And it's like spring. here. Yeah. We're we're like just coming out of that, but we're trying to, everybody's sort of trying to stay inside up here. So it was a little bit of a rush to get outside and enjoy the last little bit of warm weather before we all sort of hibernate. Well, so let's talk Canada. Um, Actually, not Canada weather, but actually Canada soccer. (laughs) Big news, big news from a few weeks ago. Bev Priestman being named the replacement for Kenneth Heidermoller as head coach of the Canada women's soccer team. What did you think when you first heard her name announced? Um, I I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was great for multiple reasons. I mean, what I would say is that I wasn't surprised. I think that uh, Bev Friesman has long had ties with this program. She worked under John Herdman. Um, She seemed to sort of keep an eye on what was going on with Canada. And certainly she never left the women's game. So you you sort of pay attention to the other teams that are around you. Um, But I think for for multiple reasons, this um, bringing her in makes sense. Uh, I like that it's a woman coaching women again. I think that uh, Canada needed that after having John Herdman um, and Heiner Moeller. I think that it's it's important that um, they they make it clear that they're also supporting uh, women at a coaching level. Um, and when there are the candidates that are qualified for these jobs, they should be bringing in women. So I was happy to see that. Um, I like the fact that she has a relationship with many of these players already. I think that that is going to be good for a transition that, is going to be um, 
maybe confusing and, and, you know, virtual probably for a lot of the players because of this pandemic. So I think that she's, she'll be able to sort of navigate that um, better um, than maybe a coach who didn't have a previous relationship with these players. And I also think that the development part of this, the fact that she worked sort of in the um, youth national team levels and, and she was involved in um, the Excel program here in Canada, which is a, a development program, I think is going to be really important for this team because you're going to be looking at a transition away from the Christine Sinclairs, the Diana, Diana Mathesons eventually. And, and I think that you need a coach that is not just looking at the senior national team players, but also has an eye on the whole pipeline all of the development um, because the senior national team players right now are just the tip of the iceberg and you need to be preparing their replacements for whenever they need to come. Especially when, you know, we've had this delay on the Olympics being played, you know, right now looks like they will be played July, 2021. So it seems like a lot of programs got a chance to hit pause, reset, you know, it was a natural time for Kenneth Heiner Moeller to then move on and Canada not being able to have camps and games while they were able to do a coaching search. But like you're saying, you can't just think of the now, you got to look ahead. And we are at this point, less than three years away from the next Women's mm-hmm. World Cup, which means we are less than two years away from the next round of, of CONCACAF qualifying. And mm-hmm. as much as all of us love watching Christine Sinclair play and Diana Matheson play, I love watching Diana Matheson mm-hmm. play, um, <laughs> we, know, we, know, we know they're not going to be able to, to play forever. We also know it, it takes more than two players. Um, and there's yeah. a lot of Canadian, you know, great players that that soccer fans have seen over the years but it's rarely more than a starting 11 right like it's Mm -hmm. not there's Mm -hmm. not the competition for spots that we've seen develop in the u.s and even you know other countries that are newer to to women's soccer yeah i mean it's going to be interesting to see um how canada it was it was going to be interesting to see how Canada performed in the Olympics when the Olympics were scheduled for 2020 after having such a disappointing performance in 2019, where I think the gap really showed the fact that you don't have, you know, those even even the, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14th player um, coming off the bench and, and, and having that depth. And I think that uh, what Canada needs to do better at is, is making sure that they have a broad player pool, making sure that they're keeping in touch with all Canadian players, not just um, Canadian, the, the Canadian players who are directly in the national team system, because right now, especially under Bev Priestman under the next three years, she's dealing with a shortened cycle, right? So it's not right. going to be the four-year cycle. She's really only dealing with a three-year cycle. So you need to be sort of having your, your hands in every sort of pot to, to try and make up for that lost year. And I think that, you know, to give full credit to the current players in the national team system, I, um, you know, it's my understanding that all through the pandemic, they've been in touch and, you know, the beginning they were doing workouts. I don't know if that continues the whole way through, but I certainly think that they're all keeping themselves in shape, ready for this coaching transition, transition ready for whatever the new coach was asking of them. But Bev Priestman herself is sort of at a disadvantage um, in the sense that she just doesn't have as much time. So I think that she needs to sort of make sure she has a huge pool, as big a pool of players as she possibly can for this cycle. And while also sort of putting in, um, putting in, 
the infrastructure that's needed in this country um, to have more players coming through the system, more options going forward. Um, because as you said, I mean, Canada is at risk of lagging behind and, and you certainly don't want that. Um, they're one of the top teams in the world. They have been for a long time, but as you see the women's game growing, as you see um, leagues spreading up in different countries around the world and, and um, you know, countries developing domestic talent, Canada's not doing that right now in a league sense. Um, so you want to make sure that there are other options um, for other players to sort of get recognized in case something happens and suddenly you need extra players or a veteran transitions out or somebody gets hurt or whatever the case may be. You have to have contingency plan on contingency plan, especially in this pandemic. Yeah. And, and we've seen, you know, some of the, the Canadians, um, the national teamers, you know, on loan in the UK, you know, like Shalina Zadorsky, or, you know, they've been mm-hmm. able to play out the Challenge Cup and the fall series, you know, with, with NWSL, you know, so, so they're, they're staying in, in the loop. Um, and, and I love looking at Bev Priestman's background and seeing, you know, not only did she have experience with the Canadian national team as assistant, but she's been part of the England coaching staff. She was, mm-hmm. you know, part of Phil Neville's staff for the 2019 Women's World Cup. She also has experience uh, with the New Zealand Federation. And I think that's yeah. th- that experience, I mean, you don't have a lot of coaches that end up coaching for multiple federations. And I think that would just like broaden your horizons and give you greater opportunity to, to learn like, oh, we haven't done that or why aren't we doing this? And just, you know, and also seeing different styles of soccer all over the world. Oh, certainly. I mean, you think about um, when John Herdman came in um, to Canada soccer, and I mean, to be fair, Canada soccer was just in a really broken position at that point in time. So in a lot of ways, there's only up to go. Um, but but he, he, he brought in a whole new philosophy. He brought in a whole new mantra, and he really sort of galvanized his team. And to, to be fair to Kenneth Heiner-Muller, too, I mean, he was a real – he was really loved by these players. I'm sure they're sad to see um, him go as well. He was only around for a short period of time as head coach. Obviously he'd been uh, assistant coach for a little bit under John Herman, but he was a player's coach. They liked the way that he, he coached and particularly after John Herman left in such a surprise, it was right. you know, a big loss for that team. And I think a real sort of uphill battle for whoever was coming in and Heiner Mahler, I think did a fantastic job of that. I think it's great that Bev Priestman went out and she, she got to experience other things. She obviously had already had experience um, in other areas before she came to Canada. Um, but I certainly think that, you know, it, it's important for coaches to develop in the same way that it's important for players to develop. And if you go and you put yourself in a different environment, you learn from a guy like Phil Neville, um, you see the game growing in, in England the way that it has, which has grown leaps and bounds in recent years. Um, and, and maybe it's not even, you know, on the field tactics or whatever, but it's, it's uh, off field processes. You see what the, the professional environment's doing. You see um, sort of what these players are accustomed to and what level they're training at. And I think you learn something. So it, it's good for um, her to not just be in one environment. And I think she'll come back to Canada certainly with that experience in England, a far more ex- more experienced and, and, and maybe more sure of herself coach than she was when she left uh, Canada. 
Well, and I'm not sure how much Rianne Wilkinson was under consideration for this job, but when I heard the announcement, like part of me assumed that it it would be Rianne just based on uh, what she did with the Canadian U-17s at the 2018 mm-hmm. um, Under-17 Women's World Cup. You know, they made it all the way to the semifinals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, look, look so good. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on Wilkinson? I mean, listen, Wilkinson is one of my favorite players in the game to talk to. I think that she is one of the the, the most intelligent minds that exists in Canadian soccer today. And I think that what, you know, not only has been stated by her, but also by Canada soccer is that their intent is to not only develop uh, players, but it's to develop, you know, future coaches or have, you know, Robin Gale and working in sports science or you even seen Melissa Tancredi being a physiotherapist and, and they've really um, managed to take the last generation of players and make sure that they still have influence over um, the current generation of players. And, and Rian Wilkinson for me is at the top of that scale. And I think that um, she's going to be a fantastic coach in the future. She's already a fantastic coach, but I'm, I'm sure she will make the national team level. I expect it to be with Canada at some point. Um, but I think that bringing in Bev Priestman, She's a person that they know. Um, she's a person that they they trust and, and the team trusts and that makes sense for the team in this moment and also gives just a little bit of insulation and allows Rian to grow a little bit more. I don't know if she was up for the job um, this time around either way. I wouldn't have been surprised if they took her on um, at this point. I really wouldn't have, but I do think that um, it just gives a little bit of insulation for her and it gives her a little bit more time to grow as a coach. And I expect that in future, um, she will hold uh, the, the position of head coach of the women's soccer team. I, I would be shocked if she didn't one day. And of course, Rianne Wilkinson was one of many Canadians who have played in NWSL. And, and speaking of NWSL, we saw a lot of Canadians break out uh, this year in either Challenge Cup or Fall Series. And what I found interesting was that these are not your allocated, capped by the national team Canadians. These are, what do we want to call them, under the radar, you know, mm-hmm. Canadians. Um, Bianca St. George, Jordan Listro, mm-hmm. Evelyn Vienne. Of course, Vienne was was a first round draft pick by, by Sky Blue, uh, but still not a name that I think most people would have heard. I mean, she was, I think she came out of South Florida, right? Like not a major program. Um, And of course, uh, St. George is a dual citizen, so she doesn't require a a roster spot. But Jordan Listro, uh, you know, who got a short-term contract with Orlando, Evelyn Vienne, they do. Um, Yeah. You know, I, I, I like seeing these teams use an international slot on someone that you would think, you know, normally wouldn't need one um, and to see some new names coming out of different programs, right? Like none of these players were coming from big name schools. Um, but, you know, tell me what you, mm-hmm. what you've seen of these players, you know, what, what you know of their stories. Listen, I think that for me, the big thing about these women is that they've sort of made it without having necessarily that national team backing. I'm, I'm working on a story um, that involves Jordan Listro right now, and I'm just so impressed by uh, her dedication to to being in the game. And and we know 
um, that it's difficult for players who aren't uh, Canadian players who aren't allocated. There's those players that take up the international roster spots because you're not just fighting against Canadians. You're fighting against Brazilians. You're fighting against people from the UK, Australians. You're fighting against all of these different players for essentially 36 spots, I believe, in the league. So, I mean, these women are finding their own path. They're finding a way to get to the professional environment in a lot of ways for sort of that slim chance of, of you know, reigniting, you know, maybe old relationships with Canada soccer or, or getting in there uh, potentially for um, the first time into a senior national team, team camp. They're, they're looking for that chance and they're trying to make that chance for themselves. And I think that that's uh, been really, really fantastic um, to see because it, it's just, it's such a, such a difficult landscape to navigate when you're not necessarily a household name and you're not part of that Christine Sinclair, Diana Matheson, Kasisha Buchanan, Ashley Lawrence level. You know, you talk to Jordan Listro though, and she says, I played with Kadisha Buchanan. I played with Ashley Lawrence, with Quinn, with Kaylin Sheridan, with, um, with Michelle Prince, and, and I'm good enough and I'm going to prove it. And I mean, I think that that's exactly what you want in a lot of ways out of an athlete um, is to show that sort of commitment to the game. She's clearly very talented, but she's also um, got a very um, dogged personality, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think that you can say that for any of these women who are um, maybe not in the national team system right now, but are still finding ways to play professionally, finding ways uh, to get their names out there. And it's worth noting that, you know, we, we just had the Louisville expansion draft. So suddenly there's up to 26 more contracts available for 2021 and another 26, possibly another 52 available in 2022. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like players like that will, that their odds are getting better. Um, but I really think mm-hmm. of a player like Jordan Listro, who I had never heard of until I saw <laughs> the announcement of Orlando's short-term contracts for the fall series, right? Orlando had the tough, p- toughest position of all the NWSL clubs, not getting to play in the Challenge Cup. So then, of course, the bulk of their internationals were like, we need to get more games than a four four game fall series so they're going on loan so mm-hmm. Orlando had to sign the most players to short term contracts and and Jordan Listro is one of them so you think you know mm-hmm. if Orlando didn't have to drop out of challenge cup that spot you know wouldn't have been open um you know as opposed to right. Evelyn, Evelyn Vienne got to play in challenge cup got a loan uh you know for France for the fall mm-hmm. Bianca St. George really had a great challenge cup, you know, got, is still getting time with, with Chicago, but Listro, you know, th- that's a tough road. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's absolutely a tough road. And I mean, the thing is that what you really don't want is you don't want these opportunities coming out of the fact that, you know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and <laughs> a bunch of players went on loan, right? right? You want these opportunities to already be there. And so it is a little bit concerning and you, you know, there, as the league expands, you know, hopefully there will be more international roster spots. And I mean, I don't know, maybe you follow the MLS decisions and and you don't make Canadian players count against international roster spots. Um, But I I, I do understand that as the United States, you're trying to develop your own players. You're not trying to develop Canadian players. Um, So 
there's going to be, there's going to have to have development happening in Canada um, as well. So it's just, it's just, you, where are the opportunities going to come from? And particularly this national team, this Canadian national team right now, I mean, it's kind of at an interesting moment in time because there's a, still a, a large group of players who are veteran players who are in that starting 11. You look at Sophie Schmidt, she's had, you know, been playing some of the best football of her career, I think, this past season. Um, and that's going to be a huge hole to fill. So how do you fill it? You've got to make sure that you are not just focusing, as I said before, on the this top tier of players because you have to have reinforcements coming in when these veterans do start to retire. Yeah, and it has been, I, I, I think, a pretty great year for Canadians in NWSL. I mean, aside from mm-hmm. Listro getting minutes, Vienne making her debut, Bianca St. George totally rocking it for Chicago in the Challenge Cup. Sophie Schmidt scoring the game-winning goal for Houston in the <laughs> Challenge Cup. Uh, Diana Matheson, we finally got to see her play for mm-hmm. a, an NWSL club for the first time in, in almost two years. You know, Nichelle Prince coming back from injury. And then, of course, Sinclair, uh, six goals in four games <laughs> in the fall series, you know, three of them from the penalty spot after we didn't get to see her score at all this summer. And then it's like, she's like, give me time. Okay. I'm catching up. Uh, you know, just incredible performance all, all around. So it's the kind of thing I, I feel like clearly there's a lot more talent out there in Canada that is just not getting access to opportunities is not getting, uh, the chance they need, not getting the training they need, resources, whatever it is, because uh, clearly it's a soccer country. Oh, yeah. I mean, the participation rates, uh, rates of soccer in this country are huge. Been, they've done a great job at sort of the grassroots level to get kids playing soccer. You know, Canada is a very multicultural country. A lot of people um identify with with soccer or football or whatever you're you want to call it in your your household um christine sinclair is a household name and you can't say that necessarily even about you know many other um female sports stars right she's probably the best known female sports star you know in the country up there with Haley wickenheiser and then that's saying something about a, a, a predominantly sort of hockey country um, but but it's not a predominantly hockey country in a lot of ways because participation rates um, here in Canada for soccer are are massive, and I'm going to keep telling people that until they start listening to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> keep saying it till you're blue in the face. I keep hear saying you. it exactly. I, I, I hear yeah. you. Well, and even in like the current college ranks, you know, there's always a lot of Canadians. What what something I found really interesting last fall when I got to call uh, the conference final for the Southwest right. Athletic Conference. It was here in Houston. Mm-hmm. It was Prairie View A and M versus Howard. And so I'm I'm doing okay. the research and I'm like, wow, the coach lived in Canada. She might be half Canadian. I can't remember the exact details, but she had recruited a lot of Canadians. Similarly, like the previous Howard coach, not the current coach had also like recruited a lot of Canadians, right? It's just like whatever your angle is, right? Like, like the way that Nebraska used to be a, a, you know, the pipeline for all the great Canadian women's soccer players, you know, like Karina LeBlanc and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, the, we're, we're seeing more and more Angela Kelly being head coach at UT means we've seen that, you know, 
we've got Canadians wearing, you know, longhorn colors, <laughs> you know, like, like Julia Grosso, you know, yeah. of course, yeah. Gabby Carl at Florida State, which is known for, I, I mean, usually Mark Corin has 10 different countries represented on his right, roster. Right. It, it, it's kind of crazy. And, and I love how, I guess, again, this is an unintended effect, kind of like the, the, the pandemic, where I guess because the pool isn't as deep or isn't as, you know, built up as much as it should be in Canada, that you see players getting their first caps at 16, 17. I, rem- I remember the 2016 Olympic qualifying tournament, you know, with Canada mm-hmm. playing their games yeah. in Houston, like seeing a lot of teenagers getting time because there was that opportunity where on the U.S. side, we don't see that very often at all anymore so so it's like it's a good thing but it's also well is it is it because you're actually giving them early opportunity or because the pool isn't very deep yeah and i mean that's that's a question that canada i think has to to grapple with and and figure out and certainly there are some young players who you know deserve to make those those starts at 16 right you've got like a jordan heidema who's now playing at psg and i think is going to be one of the players that you see make a market improvement um between you know the last time we saw her and the next time we see her whenever that may be because you've seen her at psg and she's she's exceptional um and it'll be interesting to see how things go with Canada in terms of sort of the u.s soccer system i think that two of the or u.s college system two of the big um, youngsters coming out of Canada in, in recent years have made two different decisions. Jesse Fleming decides to go to UCLA. Um, she's, you know, the kind of um, person and player. I think that, you know, school is, and education is very important to her. If I remember correctly, she did something like aerodynamic engineering or something. Wow. Super smart like that. So she wasn't just like you're taking your average Bachelor of Arts or whatever the case may be. Um, but then you've got Jordan Heidemann who decides to go um, to France right out of high school. So it's going to be interesting to see what what players do from from now on and if they take sort of, I'm sure you'll get a mix of it, but if they're predominantly taking the, the Jesse Fleming route and going to college, which I would assume um, that would be the case. But, you know, you might get uh, a high-end player who, who comes up and, and goes straight to the professional game. Um, so, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see that but I do think that you're right that Canada in terms of this player pool eventually you don't want to be necessarily you don't want to be graduating 16 year olds just because you don't have anybody else to play you want them to be graduating because they're they're they merit being on the team and a lot of times in in Canada's system I think that they they have Um, but as the game grows globally to, to, to continue to be competitive you you don't really want a team full of teenagers um, against a team full of players that are hitting their prime at, at you know, 20, 28, 29. Well, and it also makes me think about with, you know, NWSL, the way it's been, you know, since the beginning is there's been Canadian players allocated to teams, not nearly as many now as there were to start off where that yeah. first season it was, you know, two to each team. Um, now there's mm-hmm. only nine total among the nine teams and you know of course some teams don't even have any canadian allocations and we have seen in recent years yeah. uh, you know canadian players choose to go elsewhere and specifically i think about ashley lawrence kidisha buchanan that 2017 draft not declaring because you know they headed to france and i think mm-hmm. something something that didn't get mentioned a lot um 
is that, and, and, and this was kind of my reading of it, was that for those players, if they're playing in, in NWSL, then they're paid, their salaries are paid by the Canadian Soccer Association, which means there's going to be a limit to how much they can be paid. Whereas if they go abroad, there's no cap on what they can be paid, right? And so it's like, sure, it's great to be the allocated player, but if it caps your salary, then that not necessarily a great thing, right? So so that's why I told a lot of people, I, I said, my guess is for, you know, Ashley Lawrence and Khadija Buchanan that there's, you know, definitely the payoff is better abroad. And also, you know, different experience, Champions League, you know, all that stuff. So I wonder down the line if, you know, we'll see a change in how Canadian players are handled in NWSL, um, you know, because of that, so that we don't have that discontinuation of really great Canadian players like Aitama, Jesse Fleming, etc. Yeah, it's definitely going to be, yeah, I mean, I, there there has been an emphasis with the Canadian team. I think it began under John Herdman, um, where the emphasis was certainly on going to Europe, you know, trying to play in, in some of the top leagues in Europe. They liked, I think, the professional setting related to the sort of uh, men's, men's side of the game. Um, and sort of the standards there and, and just, I think, to the playing time, you know, they, they, they got playing time and that, that was really important to the Canadians. I mean, it's not useful for the Canadians if they're sending their players to go play in Europe and um, they're sitting on the bench, right? If, if you're going to play in NWSL, but you're not going to play in Europe, you, you might as well be on an NWSL team. But I think the goal for them is certainly to, to have the players playing. And I think that you know, the emphasis for, for the last few years that John Herdman was um, around as he sort of tried to um, guide these, these younger players that were coming up to, into the Canadian system was, or in the Canadian system was to get out to Europe and, and have those experiences. And I think that, I mean, certainly Kadisha Buchanan and Ashley Lawrence, they didn't sign long-term deals when they first went to France, but they've both signed deals since. So it's clearly something that they, uh, are liking right now. I think that they're two of Canada's best players. I think Ashley Lawrence in particular has made huge strides um, since she's been at PSG. And I, I think that that model works for Canada right now. And they're going to try and get as many players to um, to Europe as possible. What that means for the NWSL, I don't know. And particularly, I mean, it's an interesting year this year, of course, with a lot of big names going over to England and, and not just Canadian names, but American names and other, other um, players. And so it'll be interesting to see, like maybe now is the time to really try and get more Canadians coming down to the States because there is more opportunity out there for women. There are more options. Um, so at the end of isn't really just the, the only thing and the best league around there, there's other places to go. They have to start competing for these players in some, some senses. Yeah, I mean, uh, we all know that there's going to have to be a big transition in NWSL with the U.S. allocations alone as the league continues to grow. But I, but I think what gets overlooked is, you know, you know, how can they better help the Canadian Federation and similarly the Mexican Federation, right? That basically after the second yeah, season said, our players, are, our players aren't playing. This this isn't worth it. But uh, yeah. yeah. 
so much, so much to look forward to with NWSL's growth, and and also, you know, fingers crossed that uh, we do get the Olympics in 2021. Well, Laura, thank you so much yeah. for taking the time to talk Canadian soccer, and uh, and I want you to give a plug for the story that you've got coming out shortly about Jordan Listro. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's a it's her story, really, her the story of great determination, and just a a look at. Um, uh, uh, where maybe some of the gaps exist in, in Canada's soccer system. So that'll be coming out at some point on the thestar.com, but I don't know which day, so don't, don't quote me on that. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Uh, if you need to take a look at the current NWSL rosters by club, just go to keepernotes.com, click on Woso Nerd Links, and you'll find the Google spreadsheet that shows you each club's current roster following the expansion draft. And there's even a new tab for Louisville. You can capture that. You can access that anytime. I try to keep it updated anytime we have... Uh, a player signed, a player waived, a player traded, etc. And of course, we are in the middle of tournaments, women's soccer tournaments for both SEC and ACC, and all of those games are being televised. So if you've got ESPN Plus or Fubo or your cable has ACC Network or SEC Network, you can watch those games. And speaking of college soccer, we now know the date for the next NWSL college draft. It will be Wednesday, January 13th. Um, Unlike previous drafts, which were held wherever the big soccer coaches convention was, of course, we already know from several months ago that the, the January 2020 convention will be a virtual convention. So... It will probably have to be a virtual draft where, you know, you don't have all the players in one room. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But of course, we know that the date is January 13th. And last but not least for the back four, of course, I've already mentioned the Woso Nerd links on KeeperNotes.com, but you definitely want to check out the links there for the NWSL almanacs that I publish. Um, Taking pre-orders pretty soon for, or actually pretty soon, pre-orders already, I've posted the link uh, for the next edition of the NWSL Almanac, which will include everything from 2013 to 2020, all in one 372-page book. You can buy print, you can buy PDF, you can buy a combo. I also have a special commemorative challenge cut booklet honoring the Houston Dash. There's also a Dash Almanac uh, for their previous history, and I do plan to be working on um, other Almanacs in the future, so be sure to check that out. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening, anyone who rates it, subscribes, shares with a friend, uh, sends me an email with feedback. Always love getting the emails. Um, want to thank IcarusFC.com for their sponsorship. And as always, a big thanks to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting and to my producer, Sean, for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's girl.